Hey everyone, welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared, and we've got the Show Me the Meaning crew. Uh, we got Ryan. Hello, film fans. And Austin. Yo. And a special guest, someone very familiar to Wisecrack fans. We've got Greg Edwards here on the mic for the first time. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Look at you. You're like... <laughs> I know. I know. You're fucking awesome. Oh, that thank was, you. That was amazing, Thank man. you. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. It's been fun, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird... This is Greg seeing me like as a performer for the first time because for the longest time it's been the opposite. Oh you know? man, you blow my mind. This is great. All right, this is fucking well, awesome. Well, this dude's so fucking busy. It's taken so long I'm to sorry. get him on the mic. Yeah, I'm sorry, I yeah. apologize. I have been busy. Yeah, good busy though, right? Yeah, yeah, good. Just you guys maybe hustling. saw him on uh, corporate. Corporate. corporate Comedy yeah. Central. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, on corporate. So yeah, things are are going good. Yeah. Anyway. Today, we're talking about the 2006 movie The Devil Wears Prada, directed by David Frankel, starring Anne Hathaway, Emily Blunt, and Meryl Streep. So, as always, let's go around and uh, get some first impressions. Let's start with Austin this time. Uh, so this is going to be really weird, but I fucking, this movie just gets me in the feels, man. When I was an <laughs> undergrad, I went to like a private, I mean, people that have listened, they some of them know, because we've talked about this, my old religious past, and I was training to be a pastor and studying to be a theologian and shit. And so I was dating this chick when I was in undergrad, and her dad like fucking hated me because he thought that I was going to corrupt his daughter with my sinful, philosophical, non-biblical ways or something like that. And so I watched this movie. And you know the sequence when Miranda talks about the sort of supply process and the production process where it starts off with the designers and then it filters down into the stores? I remember yeah, I yeah. used that as like my analog to try to explain why being an academic philosopher was important because the ideas would trickle down to like everyday <laughs> speech even though we may not realize it but we used the concepts that were previously like – I don't know, intellectual elitist concepts or something like that. And so I remember I tried to use that to like in one of our back and forth discussions to get him to like me and it just made him hate me more. So I was going <laughs> to say, did she break up with you after that? Yeah. So that was, uh, that was my first experience watching this movie. And so this movie has a profound mark uh, that it's left on my soul from that trauma. So thanks for making me relive this, guys. Fuck you. I hate oh, you. Oh, okay. Cool. Awesome. All right. Let's start with Greg. Greg, uh, what do man, you think about this movie? Uh, first of all, I just want to say bad move using anything from Double Wear Prada <laughs> to try to get your girl's dad to. <laughs> Man, I was trying to relate with the people, I, you know? I, fuck, dude, I don't know. That's hilarious. That's like me using a flying crane and trying to get some girls dead. Hey, Mr. Miyagi. Um, no, you know what? Uh, I love Meryl Streep. You know, I could, I, I, I'd watch Meryl Streep take a shit. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd pay like eight ninety five to see it. She's she's good, man. She's good in everything. I'd movie pass it. Totally, totally right. I'll pay ten dollars a month to see anything <laughs> Meryl Streep does. She can play uh, Batman. She can play anything, man. She's so good. Uh, I thought she did a great job as Anna Winter. Um, I mean, the movies yeah. the movies weird to me, man. It deals with so many like sexism, uh, deals with ageism, deals with uh, relationships, workaholics, everything. Uh, just feminism. Uh, and it just made me feel bad for like Oprah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it really made me, it made me feel bad for Oprah. Just like how many times has Oprah been called a bitch? And just how much has she like put on herself of just, you know, trying to push hard 
in this like man dominated world and society and just try to push through and it just made me feel bad for women in general. Also on the flip side of that, it also made me feel like damn, women have so much like against them but they also have so much like with them. Like, you know, just the getting up and like fixing your eyelashes like <laughs> as a dude, I couldn't imagine like even doing stuff like that. You know, we we just shave and brush our teeth and like put something oil in our hair and we just go, but it's a whole ordeal for women, and it's just like, God, man, y'all, God bless you. God so, bless you, ladies. So how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, I've seen it probably three times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, Ryan? Well, I'd never seen it before in my life, and I'd always kind of had this stigma. Around it. it always felt to me like some sex in the city kind of movie I would not really ever be into but then uh, um but then I watched it it was actually uh it was a really well put together movie the script is awesome and the filmmaking some of the directing choices and stuff and montages are really interesting and cool and Anne Hathaway and and Meryl Streep as Anna Winter are great so overall it defied my expectations you know B plus <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I. it was also my first time seeing it. In fact, the reason why we did this is because everyone in the office was just talking about how it's the greatest movie ever and you guys have to see it. Oh, my God, you have to do it. And just like the excitement that this movie generated in the audience, like, oh, my God, you guys are going to do Devil Wears Prada. And this is actually probably other than new movies, this is the first time we've ever covered a movie on the podcast that I hadn't seen before. Me too. And, um, yeah, I mean, of course, it almost goes without saying that Meryl Streep is awesome. Meryl Streep is so good that I almost found myself, like, it's hard. I just know that she's always so good that it's hard for her to, like, surprise me. Yeah. You know, I just know that she's going to kill it, and she did. I'll say that this movie was just, like, exactly what I expected it to be. And everyone was telling me, like, how it's, you know, so good. So I was really expecting for, like, my expectations to be thwarted. But I really just as soon as, like, the movie started, I was like, okay, so if this goes with the what I'll call the option A route, like the obvious route, it's going to be that, you know, she gets this job, she starts getting seduced by the dark side and like it's, you know, goes in too deep. And then there's a moment of crisis when she turns her back on her friends and her boyfriend. And then ultimately she goes back to what really matters in life. And that was kind of exactly what happened. But I think the more interesting thing is like what this, I, I'm most interested in talking about like how this movie deals with fashion or at least portrays fashion. So, aspiring journalist Andy Sachs get a dream job that a million girls would kill for. To be the second assistant to fashion icon and superstar editor of Runway Magazine, Miranda Priestley. Initially uninterested and unimpressed with the world of fashion, Andy is tasked with increasingly impossible errands that alienate her from her friends and boyfriend and suck her deeper into Miranda's world, eventually donning expensive clothing herself and even gaining Miranda's favor over Miranda's first assistant, Emily. This all culminates in Andy snubbing her friends, leaving her boyfriend behind, and betraying Emily in order to accompany Miranda to Paris Fashion Week. While in Paris, Miranda is met with a number of temptations, including a one-night stand with a fashion world playboy. After learning Miranda has backstabbed her loyal right hand in order to maintain her job and status, Andy realizes this isn't the life for her and quits. Andy gets back with her boyfriend and gets a job as a journalist, although I'm not entirely sure is it like, do they... We don't never really, really know what happens with the boyfriend. I don't think they got back together. I think okay. it was kind of like, we'll leave it open to a possibility. Okay, leave it open to a possibility. She gets a job as a journalist. End of movie. Yeah. yeah. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. 
And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is what I'll just call corporate hazing. You guys know what I'm talking about here? Like, there's this, there's this, like, in not only this setting of the fashion industry, but especially the entertainment industry. And I'm sure Ryan and I know Austin worked in entertainment before, and I'm sure Greg either. I'm actually curious if you or I'm sure you have friends that have had similar bosses like this or similar work experiences of being the assistant to like a total diva. And I, I want to hear what you guys. So first of all, has anyone ever had a job like that where, like, you know, you're I, where you're in this setting where there's like this ritualized drama and conflict that seems to just prop up someone's ego and make the actions seem more important? You know what I'm saying? Like, why is everything so immediate all the time? Well, I, I definitely had like a more de- pathetic, depressing version of that job because I had it was like all of the drama and the mean boss, but it was for like a really shitty job. It was it was Jared, you know about it because I lived with you at the time. I was a birthday clown for this crazy person, oh. right? And this guy was a control freak, just like sociopath. Like there's all these Yelp reviews about him on the internet. It's crazy, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like working for him, it was just like wow, like why am I working for this guy? Like like why am I putting up with this? You know, it's kind of like at least with your Anna Winter, everyone like millions of people want that job, so you can kind of cycle through these people, and so you put up with the the hazing, the rituals, you know, and then yeah, like basically this person who has it all, and and people are disposable to him, they can at some point if they warm up to you then they want to keep you in their life, usually, or their circle. Yeah. What about you, Austin or Greg? Have you guys ever had jobs like this? Um, Well, I I think, like, uh, just entertainment, the entertainment industry is and a winner. You know what I mean? Just, like, as being a comedian, being an actor, uh, look, man, you got to go on auditions all the time. They don't care if, like, you're sick or, like, if your girlfriend's birthday is like, hey, man, you want to be on HBO and get this co-star role? You got to be here at 8 o'clock. I don't give a shit if it's your girlfriend's birthday at 7. You want this audition? You got to go for it. So it's kind of cutthroat and, you know, backstabbing people and getting ahead like how she did Emily. That's just the game, man. I got plenty of friends of mine that we were great friends and now they're getting Netflix specials and they've been, like, cutthroat to other friends of ours. And, you know, it's just this shit that you got to deal with if you want to just get ahead. But, it's well, sad. Well, damn. <laughs> God damn, Greg. Yeah. I'm you sorry. Seem, you seem so cool with it. Because like. <laughs> it, I mean, it is. Fact like, you just, it, it pretty much is what it is. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I was going to say, you guys have mentioned it a couple times now, but I'm not sure that our audience all know. Uh, I don't know if they're Vogue readers. So can you oh, say yeah, who sure. Dame Anna Winter is? So the oh. whole this whole movie is based on the author of the book. Her name is Lauren Weisberger, and basically this movie is a retelling of her stint as the assistant to Anna Winter, who was the editor of Vogue. And that's basically is 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 Meryl Streep actually like doing an impression of her, or it's just like based on her? It is both. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean Anna, but Anna Winter's British, Anna Winter. <laughs> so she's not doing a British accent. So I'm not sure it's a full characterization because she but would do that if she was trying to to do that. Does right? Anna does Anna really talk with a British accent? I feel like she's been in the states so long. She kind of does like a, an American accent. Yeah, one of those like or posh American like accents from the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like Madonna style a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. 
Yeah, I don't I, know. I, yeah, I've, I've never. I don't know what this woman looks like. I don't think I've ever heard her talk. I, I know only what she recently. Looks like I, I definitely have heard the the you know the icy kind mm-hmm. of emotionless part so. about her, but I don't. Yeah, to 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 Austin's point, she's certainly not doing a direct in, impression of her. You know. Yeah, but I mean, it's clearly it, it's. There's no bones it's about it. To be. Like that's that's yeah, who she's. Be. Yeah, it's she a, is based on a book. Totally. It's yeah, based exactly. on a book. Yeah. I was gonna say, um, in my experience, actually, in the entertainment industry, I think I got really fortunate because the production company where I was producing for a while was was pretty laid back. Um, everyone was was very collaborative and whatnot. But I was represented by APA, and so whenever I would go into the offices for other side projects and things, when I was developing a couple TV shows, I would get that sense. I would get that feeling. You know, like when it's very formal. You go in, you have the 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 women at the front, and it's always invariably women at the front who are like the assistants who are like okay please sit down Mark will be with you in a second and you go and you sit down and it's really formalized and stylized and I always felt like god I fucking hate this shit because it's so dehumanizing you know and then I recently just read Brett Easton Ellis's book The um, Imperial Bedrooms and he basically talks about uh, in this in this novel it's about a writer who's selling a TV show and in that sense he gets to like the dark underbelly of this like glitz and glamour side of Hollywood and and I feel like I, I saw it but only tangentially or I saw it from like a, a little bit of a distance but I always had good experiences for whatever reason I don't know how you guys feel but I feel like this movie is less a movie about fashion and more about having a crappy job in a glamorous industry totally but um, it's a great job you guys it's not a crappy job it's just a it's a great job with that you do shitty crappy things in yeah i mean well That's the, the very, actual very work big the work the work like you know it just swallows your whole life it makes you uh it compromises your friendships it basically changes your identity i mean these people literally haze you to the point where they like they break you yeah yeah well, and, like, there's that, I there's that bit at the end when stanley tucci gets like beyond giddy when he thinks that he is going to be free from this shitty job right so it's not that the industry's bad the industry's beautiful like when he does that soliloquy earlier where he's talking about the beauty of how the the, the from the best artists of the generation like Lorenta and stuff have walked through these halls I mean, mm-hmm. you can tell that he loves the art, the beauty, uh, the aesthetics, but it's just that this fucking job is soul-crushing, and so he can't wait to be free of it so that he can actually really bathe in the beauty of the fashion industry. Well, my question is, and I think the film kind of begs this question, is does the art or does, you know, whether it's the art of the fashion industry or whether it's the art of the movie industry, does it need to be this cutthroat, this humiliating, and this degrading? Dehumanizing. Yes. Why? Yes. I mean, yes. why do you say that? You uh, said it in, in tandem. Just yes, because it if it was nice, everybody would be in it. You know, you got to kind of cut the fat. And well, uh, the cream, I, I won't say the cream rises to the top, but it does. But, you know, I mean, everybody would be in Hollywood if it was just easy and, you know, oh, you're sick? Okay, man, come come tomorrow. You know? <laughs> I mean, you it's, think it's all it, just about weeding people it's out? Pure, it it's pure yeah. market forces. It's just everybody on, you know, there's a whole group of people, millions of people that want to be in Hollywood or want to be in fashion. And so, yeah, it's the cream of the crop, you know? It's the cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. It's anyone that Anna Winters wants. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, uh, uh, so yeah, it, it's a very exclusive thing. And that may, is, that's what makes it cool and exclusive to those people into that world you know i i don't entirely buy that because <laughs> what why not well so okay i'm i'm because because oh, well, I, 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 I i think well, the hazing is more of like just kind of a, a kind of a, a mean-spirited rite of passage like so for example lauren weisberger or even uh the character that uh 
Anne Hathaway plays Andy, I don't think she's, in, both in real life and the character, I don't think these are the best people for the job. It's basically that I would imagine, and this is me completely guessing, but I would imagine this Lauren Weisberger woman, if she really didn't care about fashion but somehow found her way in a with the opportunity to get a job that a million women want, it's probably because she had some sort of connection. Of course. So, like, the idea that— Well, they that, say that. that. In the movie. Well, no. In the movie, it's that the HR department just like you know that uh, that Meryl Streep's character is so desperate for a new assistant since she just canned the last two. The HR department just gives her this random resume, which would never happen in real life. You know, if there are a million women who want that job, there are people lined up. You know, the the HR department wouldn't just send some rando up there to be the assistant to this diva. And what I would imagine is that so all right, like imagine you're like a big wig. And this girl who's like, who knows, like, you know, your cousin's cousin's friend comes here and, you know, she's going to get her foot in the door and get a job that a million people want. Fuck her. I'm going to make it as hard as possible for her just to make sure that she, you know, like there's a little bit of suffering there. Like the suffering is going to create a better character because this person is more or less handed an opportunity that a million people would want. I think they arbitrarily make it difficult and they literally break this person as like a form of like perverse character building. But but when I say the market forces are work, that's what I, I mean. I'm, I'm agreeing with you because there's such a, a surplus of supply of people that want to be in this. It's yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're disposable. And so you can even to the cream of the crop say, you know, make it hard for them just because there's other good people around. And and they're also yeah it's character building for these people at the end of the day and, and also you don't know if they're gonna be around the next day so why should you waste your time right building a relationship and with it's somebody? also it's business baby it's... all about that green motherfuckers <laughs> yeah. yeah but if it was something so it's interesting right. about how we're speaking so like normalized uh, about dehumanizing people right like sure. ah that's just business like they have that toast when all the friends are there and they're like to jobs that pay the rent you know and we're not saying this, it's right this... or wrong though Austin no no yeah and I'm and I'm not, that, I'm not even like at that level. saying that's not, just the facts of the, of the right, right. That, And that's my point. I'm not making a value judgment at this point. I'm simply saying it's interesting how we speak of this as though it's just simply normal, right? That, that yeah, you are supposed to just compromise and you are supposed We're to just sell this, your soul yeah. to the devil, so to speak, because that's Stanley exactly Tucci what... Stanley kind of plays that role in the movie. He, he's the one that's kind of saying like that. Yeah, this is just how it is. And, right. oh, shit, she, my, 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 my mentor just fucked me over. Well... She probably had a good reason for it. Well, he said he, <laughs> that's that's literally what he kind of says. And Stanley said, "Quit." He told her, "He's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you, if 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 you hate it so much, just quit." Exactly. Yeah. I always tell when comics are like, "Oh, I hate this. This is so hard." I'm like, "Quit. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> Get out. Are you done? Damn. You done? You done bitching? Shit. Get out. You should be a motivational speaker. <laughs> <laughs> quit. Nah, I mean, the game's rough, man. Amen. I also want to call BS on her uh, on her quitting at the end. That will never happen. Yeah, I. Nah, there's no. Way. no yeah, I mean, I. I well, do see, that's think why that... this film has like that moralized element, right? Because it is. Yeah. It's like the whole thing is actually really interesting because it's called the devil wears prada they allude multiple times to her making a deal with the devil so the compromise doing the job you hate playing the game um going into this normalized system that's that's the bad thing the good thing is to like gain your independence and rehumanize yourself and um you know don't don't let your career ruin your relationship like it does yeah. for miranda and all this other stuff right be a human and go out and do your thing and so they they do set up this real like simple moral tale and so at the end that's her kind of like taking back her humanity, right? Nah. 
Well, I mean, I'm not saying you like it. I'm not saying you have right. to like yeah, it. Yeah, no. But no, I'm true, saying that's true. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. It is. It, it is what's going on. But if you finally got in with Anna Winter like that, she's like, I see myself in you. You don't quit that job. <laughs> you well, don't quit that gig. It, it's definitely an idealistic ending. But I think we're meant to believe that. You know, okay. So for her, the ideal is, oh, I want to be a journalist. I want to affect positive change. But I have this opportunity to climb this other ladder that is all about glitz and glamour. And I guess what we're meant to believe is that she. She forgoes the, I guess what I want to talk about next, I'm curious, is it actually like hollow, shallow glitz and glamour? Is that what, it, and then like, you know, for, all right, well, now I'm going to go be a journalist. And to Greg's point, like, yeah, I mean, I think that most people are not noble enough to really like uh, turn away that kind of, not you know, all. fame and uh, attention. Nah. I, I don't think it was that because because the, 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 the trigger line for her was when the devil, Meryl Streep mm -hmm. says, Everybody wants to be me, mm, yep. you know, and then right. and then she goes, wait a second, you you're miserable and you have it all. I don't want to be you at all. Like yeah, fuck your this. marriage just way, fell I was apart and I was way happier back. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another thing that resonates with me about this movie is because whether you're in entertainment or any of these like glamour based industries, like there is this narrative of people who are willing to do anything and like almost like like almost the ability to destroy your life to achieve some sort of career goal is almost like a mark of merit, you know, yeah. in, in kind of a sick way. Totally. The one thing I, I, I don't know, like in terms of this hazing thing, and, and I just want to say this before we move on, like I do think maybe that this heightened sense of immediacy and importance that surrounds this culture of these work environments probably do inspire people to do better work. You know, if it were all just like, you know, if, if Meryl Streep's character was like the chillest boss who was just like, oh, you know what, whenever you get around to it, you know, they probably just wouldn't perform as well, you know? And so I guess for some pragmatic reason, I can see why these things happen. But at the same time, you know, I've been in, I, you know, I used to intern at like uh, various production companies when I first moved here, and those bosses are fucking dicks. And yeah, when you're on the on the shitty end of the spectrum, like, you know, of course, you're just like, fuck this, you know, this is horrible. Like, why would anybody want to do this? It's And it's completely dehumanizing. Yeah, I mean, like she's called Emily, even though her name is Andy. And in these situations, and, and I was in no way even close to serving people as high profile as Meryl Streep's character, they're just not even interested. You're just expendable. Yep. Right. And yeah. um, well, like, the, the idealistic part of me says, like, oh, it shouldn't be like that. Right. It well, and, and, and also, are, are we not making um, some conflations here between uh, immediacy and negative reinforcement? And it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you can still have immediacy and positive reinforcement. You know, you can still... Uh, reward people through positive incentivization rather than through the threat of you're going to be fired or you're never going to work in this industry or you're not going to have a career or whatever. And it's interesting because literally every single psychological study that has been done on this shows that positive reinforcement actually produces long-term effects that are actually far greater, that stimulate creativity and that stimulate happiness, regardless of the level of immediacy. But that negative reinforcement actually doesn't do that. It might allow for short-term bursts, but what it ultimately produces in this type of context, and you see this in the Hollywood industry and in the fashion industry and in the Wall Street industry, is high turnover because people get burned out because it doesn't actually produce that sort of long-term 
um, goal building and productive building that would actually help somebody build their own career or whatever. And if we really want to build entrepreneurs, if we really want to make it, Greg, if you want to make it in stand-up, it's not just the negative reinforcement. You're at it uh, because of the positive reinforcement, right? It's it's your positive freedom towards what you can get, getting a Netflix special or getting on a TV show or selling a script or whatever it is. So if we can figure out how to do that, that seems much more, one, productive, two, humanizing, and then three, it could also be immediate, you know? Yeah, that's why I think at the end of the day, for all these industries, fashion, movies, whatever, it's not about you know, making a more productive office environment. It's all about, it's like marketing, basically. It's about inflation of ego. In in Hollywood, they literally hire the people that will optimize the drama. I fucking hate drama. I want people to keep it chill. You know, I want to, I'll hire people who don't create drama out of nothing. But in Hollywood, if you create drama out of nothing, if, you know, making a, a dinner reservation with Guillermo del Toro is like literally like the biggest thing in the world and it's like, you know, literally the biggest thing since sliced bread... You're rewarded for for uh, like blowing the thing out of proportion because it makes your boss seem important. And that seemingness of importance is the currency that drives these industries. Right. And what's the joke in Hollywood with the burnout? It's that all the actors and all the writers, they come during pilot season and then they stay through the summer and then they go home during Thanksgiving and then they go back to their – cozy place in Oklahoma or Minnesota and they're like fuck I'm never going back because it sucks man and so there's this radical yeah. turnover but then the new crop of people come in again during January which is why the, by the way if you're ever going to go visit LA uh, around Christmas time is the best because there's nobody there um, oh, yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> after Thanksgiving but that's the thing and it happens every year like fucking clockwork they go home for Thanksgiving and they don't come back because they know that it's just so cutthroat and there's that turnover element that I'm I mean, whatever. In terms of like, like, is there a stable of people because there's that surplus labor that Ryan was talking about? Sure. But is that necessarily the best way to do things? I don't know. I don't know. It's a factory. Uh, it's just going to keep going and it's been going forever. It's, it's, not, it's nonstop. It's, it's, I think it's bigger now with digital, digital media, Hollywood, uh, even like a lot of uh, independent stuff that everybody's doing, you know, fucking like college gig. Look, it's huge. It's a huge industry. It's a huge factory and it's never going to stop. All right. So I want to transition the conversation to talking about fashion. So I think that this movie makes a strong statement against kind of like, you know, the cutthroat fashion industry of the things that we've been talking about, about how the careerism or like the toxic careerist culture that Meryl Streep deals with has, you know, she has two divorces. And when uh, Anne Hathaway's character gets sucked into it, she loses her boyfriend, she loses her friends, she loses herself. But what do you guys think it actually says about fashion? Is it pro-fashion? Is it like, you know, what? because they're like, at the beginning of the movie, Andy is like, fuck fashion, I don't give a shit about that. And then at the end, what? I don't. I don't really know. She turns into a size four, and she looks good. <laughs> that yeah, she looks endless. I'm not a big Anne Hathaway fan, but she looked good in that movie. I think she looks good the whole movie, though. Oh, I mean, them sweaters at the beginning. I mean, I get that's what your movie has to do to, yeah. you know, to show how she looks good and with the transition. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, how yeah. this is like fucking um, Rachel Lee <laughs> Cook from She's All no That. Doubt. Like, oh, yes, and, yes, and then, yes, remember yes. they they make fun of it in not another teen movie. They were like, here, we got to do all this whole makeup, and they just take her glasses off, and they're like, ah, oh. she's got she's got <laughs> ponytails and glasses. You know, she's so hideous. <laughs> Rachel Lee Cook, ooh, she was smoking, man. Yeah, I haven't it. heard about her. Josie, wow. Josie and the Pussycats, man. I love that yeah. fucking movie. <laughs> I, I, I think it's less that they're saying, 
I don't think it's a an anti-fashion statement at the end. I think it mm-hmm. is a uh, uh, it's one of the it's a trope in movie, you know, where the where like like the dad who doesn't have time for his family. It's like it's like it's a time management thing because all of a sudden her life revolves around this boss she hates and this job she doesn't give a fuck about, and she doesn't have any time for her friends. You know, so I don't think that they're saying. They do kind of make fun of her, I feel like, at some point for like, oh, what the fuck are you wearing, you know? But then, hey, whenever she brings all that free shit to the bar, they're like, oh, shit, I want that, you know? And then they kind of, I agree with her there, they were kind of assholes to her in that scene. Totally. You know? And um, her her friends. Her friends were, yeah, you know, uh, needlessly, I would say. But then... But then, yeah, it's it's the the not having the time for your friends that's the thing that yeah. I feel like is is what there's the the point of the movie is is don't don't change yourself, don't sell out, you know, and and leave everything that you you know made well, you, you in, behind. But interestingly, at the beginning of the movie, as we've said, she doesn't care about fashion. She wears these ugly sweaters, and then at the end of the movie, she gets all this super fancy clothes from Paris, but she ends up giving it to Emily Blunt's character. But you can still see a transition that even when she's going for the interview at the New York Reporter publication, she's not wearing the ugly sweaters again. Nah. But she's also not wearing the P- Paris Fashion Week like super gaudy stuff. It's somewhere in the middle. Well, this mm-hmm. is so the, it seems this like is the synthesis, right? The thesis antithesis right. synthesis sort of thing. Like, of course, she of course, isn't it's frumpy. <laughs> she's not frumpy, but she's not like yeah, she's not like uh, she's not like highbrow. She's it's the alpha boom. It's the synthesis. It's kind of like hey, I'm the I'm the both. Um, but it's interesting because at the beginning of the film, remember Miranda makes a comment. I think that's really interesting where she says to to Anne Hathaway's character Andy, she says something like, "Oh, uh, why did you make that choice? You made that choice so that you can like present to the world that you don't care about how you." look so yep. even in her dressing in the sort of frumpy sweaters and stuff like that she's still making a, um, a sort of symbolic gesture it's just it's just different she's trying to play a role as an intellectual or as a writer rather than as somebody who is quote unquote superficial but there's still a sort of superficiality to that so you're just saying that you can't escape the superficiality you're either deliberately dressing like a slob like I do or you're deliberately doing something else. So what I'm saying is how does she use fashion at the end of the movie to better express herself or to express the person that she's grown to be? I guess I'm just casting doubt on the fact that uh, there's any real positive growth in terms of how fashion affects her life. Because I think on the one hand, she's decidedly seduced by, quote, the dark side, you know, forgetting the things that matter, being seduced by artifice and and manipulative people. But at the same time, I think we're meant to believe that her transition from slob to fashionista is authentic and a positive sign of growth. But I don't really see that. To me, well, I don't really buy maybe it. Maybe it's you can still be beautiful and smart and you can be beautiful and nice rather than you're right, only but She's just so hot the whole time. I, I took it as her I know, faking. I, know. I, I, I thought that she was just playing a part. Like, to, like it wasn't like she's saying, oh, this is me now. It was like, well, I'm just trying to blend in with the gang. And, you know, try to I want to be the best assistant I can be, you know, and and rise through the ranks. And this is how you do it. You know, I think she's dressing for the job that she wants. You know, I I don't think she can go into like being a uh, being a journalist wearing Dolce and Gabbana. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I just think that she ended up looking good, but she's playing her role now. 
And also that all that part at the end is bullshit. Like that that will never happen anyway. <laughs> well, 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 which oh, you her quitting? Her quitting and her going for like that part would happen five years down the line. Like she's gonna right. work at this gig for a while until she has all the connections that she wants to be a journalist and stuff. So so I love, so you, I love how you, practical you're being about this, Greg. You're like this is some <laughs> bullshit. Well, you're like I know how the grind works. You don't bite the hand that feeds. Okay. Exactly. Well, first of all, first of all yeah. Greg knows everybody in this town. <laughs> And so he's probably. What, you, it's just, so tell me if I'm wrong, but you're jaded as fuck because you've seen people s- s- go to the dark side. Oh no, no. See, I'm crazy now. See, this is what happens if you be in the industry industry for a long time. You learn how to psych yourself out and become like uh, a crazy, positive, sober person uh, oh, that man. gets away from L.A. like once a month because you know how it's a it's like the Bermuda Triangle here, and you gotta you gotta get away a little bit. <laughs> So that's where I am. But um. <laughs> I, 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 I actually think the point at the end was a uh, Austin, a anti-Marxist point. Oh, please and, go on. Uh, that, you know, they, they say over and over again, they stress um, like you have a choice or she says, you know, I don't have a choice. This is my job. You know, like 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 this is this is what I have to do for my job. And they're like, no, you have a choice. So then at the end, I think it's a very pro response, personal responsibility. <laughs> like, oh, I'm not a slave to my job. I don't have to work here. I can just quit. And I was way happier when I was poorer and not working for this bitch. That's, you know, a millionaire and who's miserable, too. And so I think that that's what they were saying at the end. Fight yeah. me, Austin. You said the you said the M word. And now I'm going to have to give it, give Austin the floor for the next 45 minutes. No, I'm just going to make I'm two kidding. quick comments. Okay. First of all, yeah. uh, that's a terrible characterization of an anti-Marxist position because <laughs> Mar- Marxism is not against like personal responsibility and personal action. So I just want to say, y'all, if but, you're but, listening but, but, but and you want to get into this more, hit me up on Twitter and I will I will gladly educate you on the, uh, the misconceptions of stigma of people being of a slave to their labor, the people being a slave, you know, like like like. That whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it's bigger. It, for Marx, it's more about being a slave to capital. And, and being a slave to your boss is only a symptom of that. So even though she gets out of this one slave master, so to speak, she gets she's still conditioned by the role uh, of capital. Because really it's capital and the profit motive that's driving the publishing industry, that's driving the fi- the fashion industry, that's driving everything, right? I mean, that's why the, the businessman is going to replace Miranda at the end. And even though Miranda positions herself to stay in, it's all about finances. Because again, why does Miranda have power? Because she has the connections. She has the designers and the models and everybody else that she's going to have with her. So again, what drives the system? It's capital. So, um, and I'm, I'm then, kind of being a little then, bit tongue in cheek, but and Hathaway realizes what, she doesn't need capital. She just like, needed her old apartment and no, no cap- eating well, cheap. Capital is money. Still pay her rent. Ca- capital isn't <laughs> right. capital isn't salary. Capital is um, an asset that you can invest to make profit again. So again, that's another misconception. It's not just money. Money isn't capital. Uh, Anne Hathaway has no capital in this movie because she doesn't have money to invest on her own, and she might have some human capital, as we call it. Like she can she can invest herself and that's become what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. Well, would you say her fashion choices or her, you know, does does fashion give her more personal capital? Uh, Does like as she transitions? You mean? Yeah. Um, the, the bigger in that, she gets, in that like, industry, going to the, oh, in yeah. that industry, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she gets more um, what we would call symbolic capital. Pierre Bordeaux talks about this. Uh, he's a, a French anthropologist, um, sociologist, and he talks about the idea of uh, social capital or symbolic capital. So yeah, it's like right. uh, but in it's like general, sign, I mean, like sign value, right? Like I like think, you guys are dressing sexy today. You guys have more business capital than if you were just wearing like a wisecrack right. hoodie, right? 
Mr. <laughs> Mr. Koya making us look sexy. I mean, I if I were to say what is her paradigm shift at the end, other than it's like, oh, I don't want to be unhappy like Meryl Streep. I want to go back to the things that are authentic and important to me, like my boyfriend. But oh, also, yeah, and I can make a choice. But also that you know, okay, I'm not going to go back to the frumpy sweaters because I recognize that I can accumulate social capital right. by looking a little nicer. No doubt. Yeah, That's absolutely. True. That's why everybody's at the gym in L.A. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, you you'll get like you'll get like hardlined like commie types that are like, we need to abolish all of these frames of capital. But I think when you look at like real academic like leftist Marxist scholars, they recognize that social capital, sign value, sign capital, things like that. Those things have always existed. They're not going to go away, you know. And um, so it's not about eradicating capital as such. It's just more about trying to create systems of capital that aren't exploitative or um, systems of exchange that aren't exploitative. So fuck yeah, man. I mean, if you're pretty, then you use your pretty in order to get laid. You know, uh, you yeah. work out so that you can get a, a movie part. You know, you, I don't right. know, put so, minoxidil in your hair or whatever the fuck it is so that you can, you know, uh, play a role or something. I mean, it it is about like a, there's a sense in which your personal en- enhancement does create human capital. Yeah, it, it, it's true. So there's something at the beginning more to this point is so at the beginning of the movie when Anne Hathaway's first got the job, she's getting into the groove of things and she says, the sound that their stilettos make in the marble lobby, it's like clack, 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 and they all act like they're curing cancer or, or, or something. The amount of time and energy that these people spend on insignificant, minute details and for what? So that tomorrow they can spend another $300,000 reshooting something? That was probably fine to begin with just to sell people things they don't need. And I'm wondering, I guess my question is, you know, we've already talked, and and I think I already asked this question, but we've already talked about how, yeah, like, all the things that Meryl Streep stands for and the fact that her family life is shit, obviously that kind of careerism is not good, or at least the movie suggests it's not good. But what about this perspective? This perspective that, oh, these people are so self-important in fashion, you know, they think they're curing cancer. I think that at the end of the movie, Anne Hathaway's still right here. I don't know. I mean, um... I don't think so. I, I, I think, I, I, as a as a dude that likes fashion, I, I love fashion. I grew up loving fashion. I like it. I love it now. Um, when you see somebody that used to dress like this and they're dressing differently now, like like, like like me, they feel better. <laughs> like, I remember when you first got those kicks, and I was like, those uh, look good. And you know, you feel good when you look good, man. It's just, yeah. it's it's something natural, you know. Ch- change your Even, haircut, change your life, or what is it? Change yeah. your hairstyle, change your life, or whatever the. the look at are. look at a peacock. Look at a peacock That's when right. the peacock's just walking around, and then they flame out. <laughs> <laughs> they know they look good. They right, know but, they look but some good. people peacock in different ways. You True. know, like some people, like if they're great at hockey, like they'll show a girl how good they are at hockey. It's not all fashion. I mean, fashion certainly helps, but hey, those hockey jerseys and hockey outfits—they they look good. Yeah. It's your military out, even I, military outfits. Those look. Those, you're oh, there yeah. to kill people, but you still look good doing it. You know, I, what mean, I mean, th- that's the least they can do is make you look good <laughs> if you're joining the military. <laughs> I mean, I think really the whole thing is that this is all about power. Right. It's all about power and social validation and like affirmation and connection and stuff like that. So you peacock. Why? Why do we peacock? So that we can get something from somebody else. And it's about getting this object of desire that we're seeking. Right. And so it doesn't matter if it's driving a Porsche so that you can like attract a mate or if it's wearing a nice suit so that you can get the business deal or if it's wearing like torn jeans so that you can signify that you are kind of like a cool laid back hipster motherfucker or something like that. Yep. Um, whatever it is, it's, it's always about trying to get some sort of social reciprocity uh, with what you're putting out there. And so you're trying to get something back, which is about power, right? And so if there's a power imbalance, 
that's kind of where the ultimate I think problem would lie. So it's about how do we how do we do this? How do you peacock and do it in a way where like I'm putting out what I'm putting out so that I can get something, but it isn't a way that's like I'm exploiting you or like I'm taking advantage of you or something like that. And that's what's tough I, to figure out. As someone who has come to work here every day in my pajamas for three and a half years <laughs> um, and who has no interest in fashion, but I, th- I don't think we're supposed to take uh, away from Anne Hathaway that she was right there. I think that at the end, all the fashion people are pretty humanized, including Emily Blunt and all them. I mean, yeah, they're kind of ridiculous, but but and then and then Anne Hathaway kind of becomes them a little bit. But I, I think that uh, uh, the the real the 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 takeaway from that is that in the scene where where Aunt, where Meryl Streep criticizes her blue sweater, you know, mm-hmm. or or, uh, or says, "Hey, yeah, you're all cynical about you know us. You, you think you have us us all figured out, and that we're all ridiculous, and you over there, you know, you're so above us." Uh, but look, you know, you you actually, t- you know, all of the shit you're wearing came from us, basically, yep. is what she's saying. So all the minutia we're putting into this actually does kind of uh, amount to something, and you're a part of it. Ha ha. You know, and, and this, so I think that we're supposed to kind of say that, that Anne Hathaway was being a little too harsh at the beginning, and then at the end she kind of sees them as humans, but also sees their flaws, but then goes on and does her legit real journalism thing. So one time, you know, so Jacob, the my co-founder who was on the Eyes Wide Shut podcast, he likes fashion. He knows I don't like fashion. It's kind of like this back and forth we go with. And he once sent me this clip of Meryl Streep giving that speech as like a way to prove to me that fashion is meaningful. And uh, I still am not convinced. Like, first of all, <laughs> I mean, Meryl Streep is amazing in this scene. And, you yeah. know, if I'm really just looking at the text, like literally just the words on the page, I don't really find it very convincing. Like, I don't doubt that thought is put into these things or that even the smallest details don't have consequence or that aesthetics shape our realities and perspectives in ways that we can only grasp. But it doesn't convince me that, you know, Anne Hathaway is wrong like well, no i agree that like i said i think they're they kind of in my opinion if you're in my if you get them in my head they, they look ridiculous and they and they, and even worrying about any of that i only want to wear stuff that's comfortable that's why i have these sweatpants on right here <laughs> you know it's uh, uh but i get it if you're into it like you guys say you know it makes you feel good you know uh, certain people you know and i and i so i get I think it's just about not judging the people, you know, and and, and the people that are into it. But comfort clothing right now, sweats and all that is huge in fashion right now. Right. Oh, Oh, maybe maybe I'm ahead of the trend. (laughs) Totally (laughs) curve. Totally dope sweatpants. Dudes are rocking with me. Yeah, yeah. I think they call it uh, athletic uh, leisure. Uh, yeah, clothing. Just, yes. just go to UCLA's like, campus, and you'll see a bunch of people walking around in hoodies and shit like that. But they'll have uh, full like, makeup on like and the, their hair's like, done, but they're wearing just like t- hoodies and pajama bottoms. You know, totally, so it's like yeah. the the Sopranos tracksuit. Is that becoming? Yeah, but just like fit differently, but yeah, yeah, totally. Good. I'm glad people agree with. Well, in the UK, utilitarian. in the UK and Ireland, the the tracksuit thing is. I mean, it's kind of it's got like a bad rap because in the UK it's like chavs wear it, which are like they're kind of like uh, lower socioeconomic gangster types, and mm-hmm. in Scotland it's the Neds, and and then in Ireland it's. Uh, um, it's they call them pavies. It's basically like uh, the travelers and stuff like that, or pavies. It's, it's sort of like a derogatory term, but it's the same thing. It's a style choice, and dudes yeah. will be walking out in their trackies, as they call them, and they're like Adidas track pants, track suits, yeah. and it's a total style thing. And you can totally tell when the lads are out on the drink on a given night if they're wearing the track suits. That means something. 
you know? Yeah. And what does it mean? It either means they're coming into your bar or they're not coming into your bar or whatever, you know? Yeah. And some chicks and some chicks are like they love it. They're like I love I love the trackies. It's like this it's a style thing. So Yeah, I mean I think the movie definitely does make a good argument that for some people fashion is extremely meaningful. And, you know, like one of the, my favorite parts of the movies when Stanley Tucci's character talks about how, you know, this fashion magazine is an icon and it can even be a means of artistic escape if you're like one of eight boys or whatever and you have to read it under the covers. Like, you know, like that, I get that. But I don't think that. Yeah, I mean, in as much as some people are into sports, some people are into movies, some people are into that. I mean, I think that if the movie is trying to convince me that fashion is something that can be appreciated by people who are into that well then obviously duh but i don't think if if the goal of the movie is to say that that fashion is universally important to everyone even if you you know don't worry about these things i guess i'm just not entirely bought in i think it's definitely critical of the industry absolutely right you know but i like what stanley tucci said that it's uh, art that you're constantly wearing yeah that's you you're wearing clothes yeah all the time and that's what I was going to say. Maybe we need to make a distinction between – and Jared, you said this a minute ago. Do like uh, like our aesthetic structural systems, you know, kind of do they inform our realities or whatever? And maybe we need to make a, dis- a distinction between like the descriptive, the, the kind of like recognition that we are constantly surrounded by art. Like I'm in my bedroom right now and I'm looking at my, my sheets that have like a pattern on them and I have exposed brick in my room. And, it, you know, an exposed brick is like all the rage right now, right? Because that's nice. fucking cool. And I've got like these old wood floors, like real wood floors. And so I'm surrounded by aesthetic choices and I'm surrounded by art in so many ways. And so rather than us needing to say, okay, therefore art must be the most important thing and therefore the fashion industry or the art industries have a greater degree of importance, maybe that's not what the takeaway from that Miranda speech about the sweater is. But maybe the takeaway is just simply you don't even realize the the essential importance of how these things inform your lives because you just simply think you're not making choices and that you kind of exist on a different plane. But nevertheless, right. they're infused there, which is more of a descriptive thing rather than then saying, therefore, my job is super important and you must bow down and worship me. That's the corruption of the descriptive. You know, That's Abs- a good point. Absolutely. All right, we're going to move into the mailbag. So first, uh, the last episode we did was on Avengers. Did you see it, Greg? No, I'm still caught up on Austin's exposed brick and hardwood floors. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a sexy ass apartment, dog. Are, are nice. you okay with Are you okay oh, with I, Infinity War spoilers? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Go ahead, guys. I don't care. Yeah. All right, you the man. So you know, we we got some flack. We were called some. Uh, we got called some elitists by some <laughs> really? for uh, yeah, because we were talking about. And not we're talking about, quote, the MCU and the death of cinema, not to say like, oh, my God, you know, movies are only suck now. I mean, like we all like the Marvel movies. They're extremely entertaining. But I mean, the the business model is definitely a you know, it's a shift for cinema. Well, I was on the contrary opinion of that. So I hope I was excluded. You. Yeah. Everyone loves you. They hate me. Yeah. It's It's just another kind of movie. It's a different genre of a thing. You know, it's not the death of cinema. I mean, yeah, I I don't know, man. Like opera. Yeah. That's still around. People still make it. But, you know, I think that in a sense, like cinema is almost in a more precarious well, not more precarious than opera right now, but you know, whereas an opera is cheap to make as back then, it's still cheap to make now. Movies are so fucking expensive yeah. to make. That's and our fault, though. That's the no, wait, people's opera, fault. Opera we are the ones expensive. not going to the to. We're the ones go 
going for a billion dollars of Infinity War tickets in a week. You yeah. know, like uh, uh, it's our fault, Jared. It's market. Um, anyway, so uh, this so th- this email is from Gabor. He says, I wanted to chime in on the discussion you were having that superhero movies like the MCU are destroying cinema as an art form. I don't think that is true, although I'm not a movie expert. I think what the MCU is doing with cinema is exactly what McDonald's did with dining. You have a perfect understanding going in of what you will have for your money that will make you feel good, but also know that it won't be the experience that you will cherish forever. As As Ryan pointed out, you are not taking a gamble. It will be good, but it won't be unforgettable. Both of them, the MCU and McDonald's, have a recipe which they have improved or perfected to a point where it just works. And then he says, uh, this ties back to the point that Austin made about movies being a dopamine rush. The exact same thing is true for hamburgers and french fries, but that doesn't mean McDonald's has killed high dining. It's just created a safe choice. Anyway, that's just my two cents. Don't worry, good movies are still going to be made as long as there is a demand for them. I would agree with it. I do agree with him. Um especially the part about him agreeing with me. And, uh, uh, but I will say that some of my most memorable meals have been at McDonald's. So uh, I, I will say that every once in a while you get, you know, you're like, damn. Dude, when you're drunk awesome. as shit and it's four in the morning and you go right. to Denny's or I'm McDonald's, I mean, fuck, that's Denny's. great. Right? Denny's. Like, come Denny's on, I'm not, I'm not going to hate on the fast food model entirely, but I will say supersize me is, well, that's all I'm going to say, supersize me. <laughs> I think those. I think all the comic book movies suck. I hate them all. You don't. You don't like one. I. I mean, yo. You don't like Deadpool. I'm. I didn't. I didn't see. Like I stopped. Okay. I stopped years ago because I just saw it happen and I was like, oh, it's just gonna be comic book movies every week now. I think it's like. Uh, the Hollywood is like a drug dealer. It's like, oh, okay, you guys like Molly. Molly, 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 Molly. Until you're done with Molly, I'm just going to feed you Molly. Molly, Molly. Oh, you guys are done with Molly? Here's some cocaine. You want some cocaine? Cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. And that's what that's what these comic books movies are right now. Everybody's slicked on Molly, and they're just giving you guys Molly, Molly, Molly. So out of the 19 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, how many have you seen? I've seen Black Panther just because I'm a black dude, and I got tired of people asking me, have you seen Black Panther? <laughs> have you seen Black Panther? And I was like, no, I haven't seen Black Panther. Really, you haven't seen Black Panther? That's the only reason I went to see it. So what did, you, what did you think? Because I'm black and I had to go see it. I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was like, it had like a lot of bullshit, racial shit with it that I was just like, ah, uh, yeah, it just made me like, uh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have, I saw this movie, oh, people are going to hate me for this. <laughs> only because I was black. <laughs> only. I mean, because I was black. I mean, there's something. This is into a safe that. space, Greg. I know, <laughs> but I, 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 I like the movie, but it's just another comic book movie, and I'm so done. I mean, that's it. that's how they get you, man. They make <sighs> it like uh, it's a it's a cultural. Uh, it's a cultural necessity for you to see this movie. I mean, that's yeah. the best marketing campaign ever. Totally. It's like you know, you're either you know, you either see this movie or you're a regressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you're against your race. <laughs> yeah. So many black men, all my black friends are like, you haven't seen Black Panther yet and the face they made? I was like, all right, I'll go see. <laughs> Why but, didn't, yeah. did anyone say that to you about Moonlight? No. No, but I, and I saw Moonlight because it was a good movie yeah. that had to deal with gay relationships, period. You know, it was, that was a movie. But these, com- I read comic books as a kid and I got enough of it as a kid and, uh, you know, I, I think, all these movies could be on TV on Saturday. That's 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 my thought. I just exactly. So my friend that uh, is the London-based director that I've mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. That's exactly what he said with about this last Avenger film. He said this is like uh, us tuning in to the season 
like I think it was like the two part season finale of the longest Saturday morning cartoon or something. Totally. Like that. Right. Totally. Well, it's just like the extra spectacle. Like Ryan said, movies are becoming uh, like rides. Like you, same way that like you know, oh, I can only get this rush by going to a roller coaster at Six Flags. It's the same thing with a movie. It's like, why leave my apartment just for a piece of of narrative content? Oh, I'm only going to go to a th- to a theater when I can get like a, a pure spectacle of CGI just assaulting my brain and <laughs> making me feel yeah. But more to this, I want to I want to take a, a second to just talk about elitism because I'm very torn about this idea of just how. And I think it's an interesting thing to to talk about in the context of this movie, because this is a very interesting viewing experience for me, because on the one hand, I hate the kind of elitism that's portrayed in The Devil Wears Prada, um, you know, mm. especially with the experience that I've had with, you know, interning in the industry. And I see this kind of elitism impressed on me and it made me feel like shit. And, you know, I just think it, yeah, it, it crushes people. But. There are also, with the democratization of information and the internet, I'm also finding that elitism and this kind of elitism gatekeeping is necessary, you know, or else, you know, this is how we have like fake news and stuff like that, because there are no trusted, Mm. quote, elitist sources to tell people what is true, what is not. Now, obviously, that kind of elitism falls into a trap because, you know, if that elitist has an ulterior motive, uh, you know, then truth has a whole other problem. But I guess I'm just saying that, you know, on the one hand, I'm not an elitist when it comes to a lot of things. I probably am an elitist when it comes to like art and movies, but like, you know, I'm not an elitist when it comes to food at all. Definitely not <laughs> when it comes to to fashion. But I guess I just wanted to say to people like, yes, elitism is frustrating. Yes, it's, you know, not the, you know, who wants to be around someone who's an elitist about everything? I give myself the rule that it's okay to be an elitist about one thing, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but, but, but we can't discredit it entirely. I think that's really dangerous to, to say that, you know, oh, all elitism or like is bullshit and, you know, we should go with the populist version of everything. Well, wait, and define elitism in this context. Just, um, <sighs> Can I jump in real quick? Yeah, please help me out I was gonna here. Say, maybe, maybe elitism has to do with the idea of the validation or the valorization of unchecked power. And that's what you see here with Miranda, right? She has unchecked power. And then not only does she have unchecked power, but her power is valorized. It's validated. It's legitimated without any question. Whereas if you're an elitist in the sense that you are not like uh, – there's a difference between we would say like like ontological power or like functional power and what i mean is that like ontological power is like you're locked into it it's like in your being you are supreme like a divine king right or like you are miranda you you have this in your being you are powerful and you are therefore validated and so that's a problem but functional power is like hey i'm a doctor because i went to school for fucking 12 years and i'm a surgeon so it's more like i just happen to possess these skills but then if there's a humility that comes along with that, even though we might valorize it, then that means it's not unchecked power. It's that it's power that serves a particular purpose that's been earned through like functionality or through education or something along those lines. And that's different. That's that's still an elitism. It can still be like a, hey, not everybody can come in here and start playing surgery. And if you're going to try to talk to me about surgical processes because you read a fucking article on uh, WebMD or something like that, I'm sorry, that doesn't hold much weight in this room with me, the surgeon. Does that make sense? Right. It no, does. Totally. It does. But totally. it's it's obviously a bit blurrier of a line when we're talking about movies. Like, even if I had six degrees in film studies, which I don't, but, like, I don't really think that 
like I don't think that in itself would be a reason for me to say, hey, you should give my opinion more validity. Because when it comes to the way that you engage with art, like there is more of a subjectivity to it. And at the end of the day, if you disagree with me that that the MCU is, you know, killing art, which is not exactly what I think, but I mean, go ahead, you know. Well, this is where yeah. you because you don't have unchecked power, and this is where humility comes in. And uh, with a platform like Wisecrack, even though it's not entirely a democratized process, there's still engagement. People are allowed to like and share and comment, and then we're going to read out their comments. And so there is a reciprocity that's taking place, which means that it isn't simply unchecked. And I think that might be sure. the difference. Well, and 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 I think really. In the context of what his email is talking about with elitism, it really just was – I think it was the the absolutist sentence like the MCU is leading to the death of cinema. Well, I, I, <laughs> I think we were more nuanced well, than that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree too. It's just that I think that 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 that, that he was summing it up that way as the word elitism, which I don't think is necessarily the – you know, he could have made a point in a different way. You know, but but yeah, like uh, I I probably agree with you about, about, about that 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 that, that – an elitist attitude is not necessarily a bad thing if it's earned, you know, sometimes. Like, I don't want to I don't want to get up on a pedestal and say, guys, do you have any idea how many movies I've seen? <laughs> all you Marvel fanboys have probably just seen all the stuff that's been marketed to let's you your whole life. compare IMDb's, but, bro. Yeah, let's compare IMDb's, bro. But I have gone to independent video stores and really explored the cinema of the world. Like, I don't want to fucking say that, you know, like, because at the end of the day, I don't think, think that gives my... That- <laughs> I, I don't think that, but I, I mean, I would okay. say that, like, you know, my exposure to, uh, you know, cinema of the world and history cinema has definitely been an enriching experience for me personally. And obviously, I'm going to use that perspective to make statements in this podcast. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing no, wrong with no, that. But, not. you know, it's your opinion. Right. Fuck them. <laughs> I feel That's... like we should just end on that. Note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and part of the like reason it. people love Wisecrack so much, too, is because you do take opinions on things. Right. And you do kind of say this is how it is and in this day and age of like twitter and clickbait and stuff like that there does tend to be like a little bit of an over rhetorical strategy like we say stuff that like yeah this is the death of the m or this is the death of cinema i mean do i literally like literally put a gun to my fucking head do i literally (laughs) think that movies aren't going to be made anymore no of course not i'm being a bit rhetorical because you know it's fucking twitter world man that's how we got to speak to try to get clicks and shit like that and even if it's conscious or not that's just how we talk now we're we're way more dramatic than we need to be is what i'm trying to say if a billion people came out to watch cats cuddle on on movie screens, you'll only have cats cuddling on movie screens. <laughs> yeah, that's look. Hollywood is about making money, guys. I don't care what you think it is. If you love these Marvel uh, superhero movies, or if you love these Great Expectations movies, you know whatever drama you like. Com- uh, Hollywood wants to make dollars. That's why you have Roseanne out again. Comedy, wa- <laughs> they want to make money. They don't give a shit what you think or how you feel. They just want your ass in seats. That's all. And the way about. you get asses in seats is by making an event. Yep. And like the Avengers is an event. You know, oh, Mo- Roseanne not- was an event. Yep. Black Panther is an event. <laughs> totally. It's a cultural event. Yeah. You know, Moonlight is not an event for some reason. Nope. Nope. Yeah. But a good-ass movie. But a good-ass movie. Yeah. All right, uh, before we sign off, where can we find you guys on the internet? Oh, uh, I'm at Greg the Grouch on Twitter, uh, Greg Comedy on Instagram. But check my Twitter out. It's just funny. Ryan? Um, Ryan's Game Shows on YouTube and Facebook. I released a video today about elephant art censorship. They're censoring elephant painters now. It's a tragedy. What? Check it out. Ryan Shorts. Austin? 
Oh, uh, and you can hit me up, uh, Austin underscore Hayden on Twitter. My other podcast, Owls at Dawn, just released an episode actually that was related to our Show Me the Meaning episode on 40-Year-Old Virgin. We talk about incels oh. and sex redistribution and shit like that. So brand new episode. Check that shit out, Owls at Dawn. But you can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Cool, guys. All right. Well, that just about does it. So uh, we will see you next week. And I know that we said that in the description of this podcast, we said we're doing The Matrix this week. We're doing it next week. So The Matrix is next week. Yes, that will <laughs> cool. be the one. All right. Well, that's it for today. See you guys. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Laters. Peace. Peace.